This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hello and welcome to episode 72 of the Equalizer podcast. Chelsea Bush and Claire Watkins here to talk about a lot of games, a lot, a lot of games. But before we get started, I I do want to say if anyone missed the announcement, um, Orlando Pride defender Tony Presley announced that she uh, has been diagnosed with breast cancer. She underwent a double mastectomy. And so obviously all of our, our best uh, best wishes and thoughts from the Equalizer are with her as she continues in, in her uh, recovery. Absolutely. So absolutely. Best of luck to, to you, Tony. Um, so Claire, lots of games. Let's start with, uh, let's start with Chicago because that was kind of, I think, a big win for them. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think we'll, we'll kind of sprinkle all this in as we talk about the narrative of the weekend, but um very, very tight table race this year, which is very exciting. Um, the top three teams are very, very close, even after this weekend ended. And then you have kind of this crazy race for that fourth place spot to make it to the postseason. And Chicago, Washington's significant in that because you have two teams that are in different races, but trying to maintain pace in both of them. Um Chicago won, one to nothing off of a header from Yuki Nagasato in the 65th minute. Um, not a lot of chances in this game. I think there were maybe three shots on goal between the two teams. Uh, but that actually made it kind of interesting. I think um, Chicago has done really well possessing through their midfield, especially with their U.S. players back. Julie Ertz has been massive for them. Um, and the way that Washington tactically decided to deal with that was by um, playing very direct. They had a very direct game. And what we know about the Spirit is that um, they're very organized. They've got a ton of kind of mental buy-in to that plan, and they can run forever. So it was not a game with a ton of offense, but I thought it was very well matched and was not a game necessarily that Chicago would have won four or five, six weeks ago. So them getting that, getting all three points on the road, I thought was, um, yeah, indicative of them really making a push, not only to kind of hang with the top teams this year, but try to be one of them. Yeah. And for me, I thought Washington's lineup was kind of interesting because they're missing a number of players. Mallory Pugh is injured. Um, Tegan McGrady still injured. Paige Nielsen was out with suspension so that they kind of had, I, I didn't necessarily, when I saw the lineup, think that that was, the best they could have come up with. Um, it was it was interesting because, um, right, Paige Nielsen was on a red card suspension. She's one of their starting center backs, so they were going to have to figure that out anyway. Um, and then Tori Huster was a late scratch, and I believe uh, she had just been dealing with some tightness, and I, I think maybe she had uh, just that had left her out of training that week, so she just wasn't ready to go, and you can't you just can't start someone who can't play a full 90 at the center backs, you know, spot. You have to make a decision on a person who can go the whole game. And so they put Andy Sullivan back there, which was a surprise to me. Um, I would guess probably 
the logic was she's a central player. She's incredibly smart. Her tactical awareness is very high. She's probably out of anybody, you know, likely to do pretty well back there. And she did, actually. I thought she did. She did all right, especially against someone like Sam Kerr, who had kind of a quiet game. Um, and then, right, they were missing Chloe Largazzo for an excused absence, though she was present at the game. Um, so, yeah, they definitely didn't have all of their pieces available. It had to kind of consolidate not only the lineup, but the game plan for that. Yeah, and they're also playing Elise Kellen Knight at left back, which they've kind of done since they acquired her. Right. And it's something Australia plays with sometimes. I don't like it. I. I... I thought it was interesting, too, that they chose to play Amy Harrison, who has played fullback up higher up to pitch. Right. I, I would have, think, preferred, particularly having Sullivan in central defense, I think I would have preferred Kellen Knight, what I consider probably her more natural position at defensive mid, put Harrison back at fullback. And I think that l- losing both Sullivan and Kellen Knight from the midfield, I think it took some of the spine out of it, and I think they, they could have shorted up a little bit. But Yeah, and I think hey, it also... That's ultim- just me. Right, I think it ultimately that was the major weakness too, because um, I, I think you're not wrong. I think probably if you had put Harrison at outside back, put at least Kellen Knight uh, in the midfield, maybe it would have been the same. And we, we saw this, this has now been two weeks in a row where a team has lined up someone who is not a natural fullback against Casey short and um, <laughs> struggled with that decision. Uh, short was the one who got the assist on the Nagasato goal. Uh, Casey short is having an incredible season and, I think maybe, I mean, I don't know, maybe teams line up, you know, not, you know, if, if a team has a deficiency, they think maybe Casey Short is the player to play against because she's not known for her offensive qualities, but she's been developing those throughout this season. So um, last week she burnt Mallory Weber on the outside for Utah, and this week she burnt um, Elise Kellen Knight multiple times on that outside spot. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think probably whoever was lining up in that position for Washington was going to struggle this weekend, but the way it played out, it, uh, you know, that was ultimately the thing that, that stung them and and lost them the result. Yeah. And, you know, big win for Chicago who after, you know, having so many scoreless games, really that, that long struggle period they went through mostly when, when Kerr was away had just gone on a really recent tear and actually, for you know a day got them up to first place yeah they so they've we've seen them sorry go no, ahead. i was just gonna say they've matched this is their longest winning streak um they've matched their longest winning streak in club history they have a chance to set a club record against sky blue on wednesday um yeah chicago's a team this year that doesn't draw a lot they either win or they lose that's kind of their uh their mo this year and ever since they had that that infusion i think of I mean, getting Julie Ertz back is just, it changes everything for them, not only on the field, um, but also off of it. Uh, She's just another mind. She's, you know, a very vocal captain, and and she was doing a lot of problem solving this weekend in addition to what they've seen in recent weeks. So, um, yeah, I think, you know, with the lack of scoring, Chicago got this reputation of kind of being the Sam Kerr show, which they can be in in some of their lesser performances. But when they're hitting... They have a lot of weapons, and I think that's the way they would like to play going into the rest of the season. Yeah, for me, it'd be interesting because I think we've seen this before. Where they have had a moment where they've surged, and I think towards the end of the season, they kind of tend to fall to that sort of like third or fourth yeah. playoff spot and kind of just hang on enough to make it in. So I'm curious to see if, if they're just really hitting their stride. And we are, I mean, it, it's closing in on the end of the the end of the season, right. we're, we're approaching week 18. There's 24 weeks. I mean, 
So, so that's what I'm really curious to see. But let's let's move on and talk about the other two teams, sure. kind of in that top tier. Last last week, I told Dan I thought there were three tiers in the in the NWSL, and I think it's kind of stayed that way. And so, big game in Portland um, under a record NWSL crowd. Kudos to Providence Park for that. Where the Courage scored three goals and lost. <laughs> yeah, so it's kind of a thing. Um, I. For me, it was a it was a good game of soccer, and it was on ESPN, which I like. I like when they advertise what was probably one of the, the more entertaining, if not the most entertaining, game uh, of the weekend, with maybe the exception being Orlando, which for a whole different reason. We'll talk about that later. But I just thought that, that they played really well. And for me, it was very interesting to see Portland tactically adjust, where in the first half they were dropping deep, keeping numbers back. I mean, you had tobin heath in her defensive third dropping back to get the ball right and i just they they weren't executing fast enough on the attack they weren't getting their full backs up the pitch which by the way did not include megan klingenberg she she was not starting this game neither was ellie carpenter who's been coming back from an injury and they came out in the second half they put on mitch person Haley razzo just immediately brought so much more energy and aggressiveness and brought their own press whereas before they were just like sitting back and then you can't sit back against North Carolina. I don't know why teams think that that is right. just inviting them, them to giving them that space is just a recipe for disaster. And to me, I think that they're lucky and, and kudos also to Adriana French for only giving up the one goal, especially right. in that first half. Yeah, I, it's so interesting. There's this triangle, right, of the top of these three teams um, of uh, Chicago, North Carolina, and Portland where it's like a, it's like a straight shot. So, like... North so Chicago does this against Portland and Portland does this against North Carolina and North Carolina does this against Chicago where they come out in these games regardless of whether it's home or away and there's just this weird mental shift that each team has to like come to grips with before they can really play the game out and I think we saw that with Portland in the first excuse me half hour of this game in particular um they just looked kind of shook um, obviously they have some bad memories of the last time the courage came to town and, um, you know, Emily Sonnet was pushing way, way, way up at the very beginning. Caitlin Ford had a very odd, uh, for 45 minutes, uh, she, you know, was trying to do too much or, or, and just couldn't quite find her feet. And, and she also is probably lucky not to get a second yellow within yeah, like a minute. She, she was very weirdly aggressive, like in the middle of the field, um, so, and then there was the question of like, okay, so now can Portland get past this mental thing that they have? And I'm sure being at home with a record crowd helped. Uh, and they did. And the other thing is, is too, is, is I, I think it's fair to say that North Carolina is still incredibly dangerous and is one of, if not the um, best teams in the league. But they have some, they're a little bit less unbeatable this year. Uh, just because I don't think that 2018 form is sustainable forever, um, I think. Right, and you, you also there, you, you have know? to look at like how many players on that 2018 were having just the season of their lives. Exactly. I mean, you probably can't right. count it on one hand. So they've all kind of gone back to where they're they're great players. Right. They're just not each one of them having you know superb season games exactly. week after week, and right. it was just it was always unsustainable. Yep, exactly. So. Um, so the, the result of this game actually doesn't shock me, having watched the Courage over this season. Going into it, I was like, well, Portland's on short rest, and, and Portland gets a little bit freaked out by the Courage, and the Thorns themselves had dropped some two weird results prior. 
And I mean, they, they lost to the rain in the midweek game and, and they dropped points to sky blue the weekend before, but um, also North Carolina has gaps and they make mistakes in the back. And that's what happened. Uh, Portland kind of got it together in that second half. They made subs that really helped. Um, and yeah, there was a miscommunication between Merritt Mathias and Stephanie LeBay in on that first Portland goal. And then it was, I think, LeBay, Urseg, and one other player, I forget who else, the North Carolina player that was involved in that, where they just got in each other's way. So they've got some communication they need to figure out. And also just really hard to play in Providence Park when it's loud. Defenses get confused and they can't talk to each other. And it happens. Yeah, for sure. And for those of you who weren't watching, that was uh, Stephanie LeBay on goal for the first one. Um and then an Abby Ersek on goal for the second, which the second one particularly was really credit to to Haley Razzo for, for getting sure. that initial touch off that yeah. service from Christine Sinclair. But I, I, yeah, I think that North Carolina's defense is where kind of we have to to probably give it a little bit more of a deeper look because they have had these moments where they they just they're out of sync, right. and we've seen it repeatedly this season. And there's the same besides the goalkeeper, they're the same players, right? And Stephanie LeBay is, an, is a great goalkeeper who's plenty of experience. I'm not sure what, where that fault lies. This, I, I think that's a very good point and probably an overlooked point of, of playing at Providence Park where it is so loud. But we've seen that at other venues too. Yeah, right. They've given up some so, bad goals this year. Yeah, they just – and it's, it seems to come in like clusters. Mm-hmm. So I, I wonder if there's some sort of like mental – laps are almost just like shutting off yeah I think they have periods of time in the game where they do I think that they like and you see and it's, it is this thing where this happens to almost every soccer team except it didn't happen to North Carolina last year so we're really comparing them to to their best selves but they do they have periods of the game where they just lose focus a little bit they get pinned back and um I don't know, maybe they're just not used to that kind of last-ditch defending that other teams get more used to. Uh, yeah, I think they're, they, you, you know, last year they epitomized the you know, offense is the best defense where they just they kept up the press and they kept other teams pinned back. And I also think overlooked is, is the role of McCall Zaroni, who right. had such a great season last year and has actually been struggling as much this season to the point where she's often that, that midfielder of that really good group of five that, that's getting benched. Right. And she's yeah. not starting. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, so, I think I would say that she is a good barometer for if whenever North Carolina drops a result that you think, oh, that's weird, you just have to look at McCall's or Boney's season, which is just, she played out of her mind last year, and she's just dealing with some stuff this year that's that's brought her, again, just back down to kind of that, that mean quality, and um, yeah, it doesn't mean that they're going to lose a lot of games, but they're going to lose some, and uh I think that's great. I think the shield race is incredibly exciting this year. I prefer this. Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I absolutely agree with that. Yeah, it's it's so much more. I mean, like I said, we've seen first place change hand multiple times yep. this weekend, and they're so tight. North Carolina does not play next weekend. Right. So at, at the moment, they're in third. So we, when we could see that switch back between Chicago and Portland, North Carolina will not have it for the time being, but they're so close that they could equally just make up. In, in one week, think up the points. So yeah, okay. I, I think it's thrilling because I, I'm not sure I could point right now at either of those teams. I think I can make an argument 
for and against every single one of them for why they're going to to win it all in the end. Yeah, it's like I said, it's the triangle. I I think it's great. I love it. It's it's uh it's wonderful and and I I love that we're having this race and I love that it's continuing on with the US players back. I think that's great. Yep. So next uh next section we're going to talk about the players <laughs> not in the top triangle but A still, very different still energy. Own, yeah. Yeah, still making their run. So we'll be right back. All right, welcome back to episode 72 of the Equalizer podcast. Um, time for our FBref.com stat of the week. And you'll, if you don't know already, you're about to learn why this one is, is so applicable. Um, there's only been a double red before this weekend. There's only been a, anything close to a double red in, in an Indoor game one time. That was in May of 2014. When Melissa Tancredi got a red for the Red Stars, and then Randy Waldrum, coach of the Houston Dash at the time, was also ejected. So not quite a double red in the game, but about as close as it comes. Uh, red Stars went on to win that game three to one. Goals by Di Bernardo, Mots, and Jen Hoy, and then Alyssa Masser for the Dash. So, Claire, why is that one so applicable? Well, Chelsea, the Orlando Pride finished their game against the Houston Dash on Saturday with nine players. That's true. The very first time that's happened in the end of the cell, and for that matter, very rare anyway to yeah. get two, two straight reds, not two double yellows. Right. Two straight reds. So, wow. Now, let's, uh, let's unpack that game. So, I actually thought in the first half that that wasn't the better we've seen from Orlando. Um, the, as you know, we mentioned in the first session, they're, they're not going to have Tony Presley for a while. So they picked up Julie King, who the pride did, who uh, was, was waived by the courage not too long ago. And I was happy to see that we have not seen Julie King play since the days of the Boston breakers. Um, if you can believe that she's had some long-term injuries, then finally got healthy and just couldn't make it on to the field for the cur- courage. Um, and actually she did, she did pretty well. And um, I also think that Claire Emsley is going to be a great player for them to build around. She, she was all over the pitch. I thought she and Allie Krieger were working really well together. I thought Krieger and Pickett had some pretty good first halves because they were just flying up and down those flanks, um, really keeping Houston pin backed. Yeah. Um, lots of players in the box. Like it's just, I, yeah, you know, I, they were passing well. It was a good showing by Orlando first, yeah, I'm to start the, out. I'm of the opinion that Orlando is slowly improving. I really think that they are. Um, I think every week, uh, you know, they do still really struggle in the back, but I think, um, you know, Mark Skinner is slowly but surely getting more cohesive. It's kind of like, you know, it's kind of like um, how we were talking about how North Carolina's form was unsustainable. Um, in a way, it also kind of felt like Orlando's was, you know, where if you have a, a competent coach, if you have a coach who knows what he's doing over time, things will just start to improve on their own. And I think we're starting to see that from Orlando. Um, though, obviously, I mean, but it, it was actually kind of, God, I mean, we'll get into the end, but um, that was like the most Orlando pride game ever where you do, you see the improvement, you see how people are starting to combine a little bit better, um, but the final shot just isn't there. Um, and But then you see <laughs> some dysfunction there at the end where you're just thinking, wow, what's going on? with this club, you know? Yeah. So, uh, let's start off with the first one. Yeah. Uh, I thought the first red card was, was pretty straightforward. Um, King. Wow. I've just had a, a mind 
gone blank. King took down um, Mewis, I thought. Mewis, yeah, Christy Mewis. Thank you. Wow, I'm old. Uh, King took down Christy Mewis. It was pretty much, you know, last defender, dog so. It it was pretty, to me, pretty cut and dry. On the very edge of the penalty box, they're lucky it wasn't a penalty. Uh, I think some refs would have called that. I think it would have been incorrectly, but I think some refs would have called that. But to me, that that's a pretty clear red card. You can't drag someone down. You're the last defender. They're obvious goal scoring opportunity. I mean, that, that to me, that was cut and dry. I don't know if you agree or yeah, disagree. I, do. I or... think. I mean, I think it was one of those unfortunate situations where the foul itself was not that bad, and it was actually probably the right thing for her to do. Uh, she just got hung out to dry. There was no one around her, and so that's a red card. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that was really unfortunate. I, like I said earlier, I thought King was doing well for the uh, Pride, and they've needed some some central defenders. So obviously she won't be playing for them in their next game. But I also want to mention, too, that the weirdly, the Pride, I think, had like two bye weeks in a row. We have not seen them since July right. 20th, I think. Yeah. Oh, So it's been a while. The, NWS, it's, it's, the NWSL schedule is about to get very odd. Um, yeah, I hate this time of year. Yeah. Like we've had, we've had one team go Wednesday to Wednesday. The red stars are about to go Wednesday to Wednesday. Um, and then we're going to have the international break right before the last game week of the year. So we're going to have like a weekend off, then one week, then the postseason. It's, it's about to get very, yeah, it's about to get very weird. Yeah. And, and thank you to the end of a cell because I have a friend or a coworker going to Chicago for two weeks for work um, in October. It was the last weekend of the end of a cell. I was like, Aha, oh, go no to a games. Red Stars game. Nope. And you know, she can't. Like, nope. I'm like, oh my gosh. <laughs> I was yeah. going to do my duty. I was going to send someone <laughs> to their first soccer game. So, yeah. anyway. So, yeah. So, so it was just, yeah, I agree. It was not the most reckless or egregious foul. Just it was circumstantial. It is what it is, but that's a red card per the rules. Should the rules be adjusted? Probably to be honest, but second one, Ooh, man, I, did, I don't even know where to start with that well, whole sequence. I think we should start. I believe we should go back to, uh, last year. <laughs> um, there is this simmering sort of detente, if you will, between uh, the Houston Dash and the Orlando Pride, specifically between Rachel Daly and Marta, where there's something about when you get those two on a field together, tempers flare a little bit. Marta's red first red card uh, in her NWSL career was because of Rachel Daly. She, she I think, uh, hands to the face of Rachel Daly, there was a weird moment between the Pride and the Dash earlier this season where Marta was doing something odd with the corner flag. Um, and then, what, we had a soft penalty, right, against Kristen Edmonds, against Kalia Ojai, when it really kind of thought like the Pride were going to see the game out with a point, even going down to 10, and then all yeah. hell broke loose. The, the dash to me never really looked like they were going to take control of that game right. and, and win. Yeah, it looked to me like they were headed for a scoreless draw. They The dash were trying to score and, and get them on the counter, score in transition. They weren't doing that great with it. Orlando couldn't find the final pass. I thought it was was kind of a silly foul by Edmonds. I don't think she was in a position. Not, it wasn't like the King foul where she kind of had to. Right. Uh, Ed, Edmonds had some help, and I just think she, she came in a little bit clumsily. And, yeah, and- so... I mean, was it a penalty? I've seen worse. Sure, right. I've seen much worse. But, you know, the super bizarre thing. So the penalty is called. It 
it's probably about a 50 50 right it's like yeah it's kind of soft but she didn't need to do that um but then the center ref goes over to the assistant ref who it looks like is about to talk the center official out of the penalty they're having yep. this conversation, and then from for us watching the stream, suddenly the camera pans back over to the penalty spot. Uh, Rachel Daly's on the ground. Marta is being held back by Chioma Ubogagu. I believe Christy Mewis was in the middle of it as grounds. well. Right. There's a yeah. lot going on, and I mean. Yeah, it, it was nuts because it was Orlando. I mean, obviously, players, they're going to call every penalty. Like, they're going right. to argue it. That's just what they do. And so this big group of players had followed the the referee over right. to, to the, the right. assistant um, official. I, at one point, I think Ashlyn Harris kind of tugged Allie Krieger away. Like, it was very heated. Yeah. And I was thinking, oh, someone's going to get yellow for dissent here. Like, there's no way that they don't. And I agree with right. you. I think she w- they were talking uh, the center official out of the penalty. Um, which again, fifty fifty doesn't either way. Not on a huge, right. not really egregious call. Right. Um, and yeah, all of a sudden, it's just we are the closest to a brawl that the NWSL has ever seen. It looked like it was that it was a situation where we had an altercation. It's just an altercation between multiple players, and we were talking about this before we started. You don't see that a lot. You see some one on one sort of chippiness sometimes. You see some talking banter whatever but to have yeah to have pretty much every player on almost every player on the field that was over there uh get involved was incredibly chaotic um and I mean yeah I mean I think you have to send a player off in that circumstance yeah I mean if you go back and and you watch it um now I want to say Beyond the Daly and Marta history, there is. I think Rachel Daly is a player who has gotten under some other. She's kind of sort of like a, a shade groomer's a bony. She's yeah. just one of those players who kind of gets under people's skin. Sure. Marta has demonstrated her temper on the field more than once. Yep. I mean, very clearly things are happening. It, it does kind of look like there's some some motion for Marta where there was maybe a shove, and and it also does kind of look like that Daly took you know every inch that was given, and maybe then some. Right. So, I mean, at the end of the day, if you put hands on another player like that, it's kind of like the King thing. It's not the most egregious thing I've ever seen. It's not reckless, but you you have to get a red card. For right. Like, I exactly. don't think I really argue against either red card, but Daly steps up, makes a penalty. They the dash go on to win it. It was just, it was bizarre and so. I mean. It, it's one of those things where, first of all, I, I think the official was starting to lose control of the game a little bit before it got to that point. There were some, Marta has had a suds up foul. She probably should have gotten yellow for earlier. There were some, it was getting physical and, and kind of chippy in that second half anyway. And I think they, they probably needed to, to calm them down. But also I wondered, like, this is where you expect your captains and, and your veterans, your leaders of each team to step up. And when there's, there's something heated like that, that's going to be a game changing moment. Players are, there's a huge you know, mob of players, every one, but the, you know, four. So they're, they're arguing with the officials are in this all together. Clearly temples, tempers are running high. Where were the players that were going, you know what, let's just like step away. Let's go get some water. Right. While they argue this like that to me is, was kind of a, I felt like there were multiple people letting the teams down at that point. (laughs) Now, obviously Rachel Daly is an adult. March is an adult. They should be able to control themselves. But I also felt like somebody should have stepped up and said, Hey, like everybody like chill. I mean, I think, you know, you don't want to read too much into it, but, you know, these are these are two teams that maybe look like they could use some leaders right now. 
um, even outside of something like that. But, you know, even the way they play soccer, um, they could use some leadership on the field. And I think you're right. I think there was a chaos vacuum where a lot of personalities kind of dove in on both sides and you ended up with what happened. Um, uh, and, you know, it's hard because I think, I think gamesmanship is part of the game. I think people talk, I think people chatter. I think that part of being a professional athlete is you have to learn how to manage your own emotions on the field. And obviously you cannot lay hands on another player like that. Uh, but, um, yeah, it's just not something, I mean, it it was crazy and it's not something that you want to see. And I think that a lot of people, the ref lost control, the captains lost control, the coaches lost control. And, uh, that's how you get a giant mess like that. Yeah. Um, so obviously Orlando's going to be without Marta and Julie King next time they play. Um, Alex, Alex Morgan, Morgan is still injured. <laughs> oh my gosh. Like, yeah, if anything sums up the pride season, that, that unfortunately may be it. But, you know, as we said, you, you have to look at the positives. They, they are improving as a team. And I, I'm really interested to see what Skinner can do with that when he has an off season under his belt where he sure. can kind of mold the team a little bit more to what he wants. Um, Houston, yeah, I think Houston's lucky to escape with all three points in that. I think, as I said before, they were headed for a draw, and I think that kind of, to me, sums up Houston's season. That they'll get enough points to hang around. They're right. in sixth place right now, but but so let's and let's so let's, of, let's pivot over to who we really think actually is probably going to contend for this fourth place spot. Yeah, because if you look at it, you know, you've got the rain in fourth place with twenty six right. points, which is only two behind North Carolina right now. Right. Uh, Royals, even though they they are on a two game winning streak, they finally snapped their struggles uh, in pretty impressive fashion. Yeah. 3-0 win over Sky Blue midweek, uh, 3-1 win over the rain. They're still in fifth place at 24 points. The Dasher are in sixth at 22, and well, the Spirit are in seventh at 21. Now, in my personal opinion, I'd probably swap the Spirit and the Dash. The Spirit I just think messed the spirit... up. The Spirit have just dropped four points to the Dash um, in the head-to-heads. That's really the difference there. Uh, on form, yeah, I think it's got to be the spirit of the Yeah, I mean, the spirit are also uh, something I kind of, not to toot my own horn here a little bit, but something I kind of been predicting when they were doing really <laughs> well at the beginning of the season was there's so many rookies on that. And then sure. every season, inevitably, nine out of ten rookies are going to struggle down the stretch just because they're not used to playing so consistently. This, the college system does nothing to help them with that. Yeah. So I think we're kind of, that combined with some some injuries and players missing is just... It's just gonna take some time, but I mean, even still, they're they're so far from what they were the last two years. Absolutely, it's incredible. So, if I were a betting person, which I'm not, but if I were a betting person, I think that four spot comes down to the rain and the Royals. I think you're probably right. Yeah. Who, if you had to pick today, who would you pick? I okay. Well, it's hard because the Royals have the players, but the rain have the coach. And so, are you betting on the players, Ooh. or are you betting on the coach? Interesting. And, um, I think it just depends. I know, I'm not, I will answer your question. I think it, but I'm going to qualify it beforehand. But I think it depends on when they get, when and if they get Megan Rapino back, the rain. Um, 
I don't know. The rain beat Portland on Wednesday. I just think it's still going to be, I think it's going to be Vlatko Andonovsky's team. I don't know, though, because the, you, the Royals are so much better with their nationals than without them that, you know, the last time I saw them up close and personal was the victory tour weekend. And I did not think they looked like playoff contenders, but you infuse, you know, some U some U S stuff into there and they're much, much better. So I think I'm still going to go with the rain. Um, but I don't know. It's close. It's all close. Yeah, it is. And so it's interesting because I kind of have been leaning and maybe this is recency bias, but I've kind of been leaning more Royals if they can keep up. Now, granted, it was against Sky Blue and then, you know, a, a depleted rain. But right. the way they've they've turned around, not only, I mean, it's, this was a 1-0 team at the beginning of the season. That, that was their kind of bread and butter. And then when they started, tried to start scoring more, they started giving up more goals. And if they can continue this sort of two, three goal margin, um, continue that offensive output without, you know, maybe they're they're turning into like a three one team, sort of like the U.S. national team, where yeah, you're not keeping clean sheets, but sure. you're scoring enough. Yeah, on a team that has Amy Rodriguez and Kristen Press should be able to do that. I I kind of lean, I kind of lean Royals. You know, um, I think that Flatco's a better coach than than Harvey, but Harvey also does have the playoff experience, and she does know what it takes to get there. Um, I think also I would just have to look at. I think we are at the point where you would have to show me who those two teams are playing for the rest of the season. I do think that strength of schedule is about that, to become very important. Yeah, absolutely. But even uh, to that note, too, I also want to say, I just think the rain have just lost. Yeah. I mean, losing right. Rapino for however many games it's going to be the majority of the season. Anyway, losing fish lock. I mean, just player after player after player and Casey Murphy, you know, we, we talked about her a lot recently is, is what a revelation she's been and how good of a pickup she's been. She's doing that. Right. I'm still a very young keeper thing. And she, she really struggled today, in my opinion. Okay. Gave up some soft goals. In lieu of, of, of predicting that, here's my prediction. And y'all can roast me if I'm wrong. Whoever gets fourth, whoever goes into the playoffs in that fourth position is not making the final. I think it's oh, going to yeah. be I think it's going to be those top 3. There's going to be two out of those top 3 that are going to be playing in that final in North Carolina. Yeah, absolutely. I 100% agree with you. The the, the gap between those top 3 and and whoever ends up there is just it would have to be some so one of those teams would the top 3 teams would just have to fall apart. Right, completely. Yeah, I completely agree. And on that note, I think that's probably a good uh, a good stopping point. Yeah. Um any final thoughts on Oh, I have a question. Went down this weekend. Sure. sure, I have a question for you. I'm sure. I'm sure you, you and Dan talked about um, the victory tour game last weekend, but uh, we had a number of players on the injury report this week. U.S. Yeah, players. I think it was eight. Yes, eight U.S. players. Yeah. Um, quite a few of whom were not on the injury report before this weekend. Um. What we heard in Chicago when we talked to Rory Dames after that Utah game was that there were at least a number of, of Red Stars that inquired with U.S. Soccer if they had to actually go to get that victory tour money that they had negotiated for that particular friendly, and U.S. Soccer said yes. Some of those players are owned by U.S. Soccer. Some of them are not. For example, Chicago's Tierna Davidson. Her salary is being paid by the Red Stars right now. Um, I... And, and this is going to be an issue. Maybe just my, my bigger question is, are you concerned now 
we're talking about all this great potential for this shield race. Are you worried about workload for these top tier players? Um, I mean, workload is kind of the, the soccer workload is kind of the buzzword right now. I think there's been a lot of concern, even in the men's game. Um, I think it was the EPL mm-hmm. where they've, they're just saying we're just playing too many. I think oh, we've been right. talking about that. Allison with, with Liverpool about yeah. all the games he'd been playing. Yeah. Um, you know, Jurgen Klopp has said kind of the same thing. And, right. and, you know, we've, we've talked about that for a while with regards to particularly the Australians right. and then those who play in both the WSLW league. Um, yeah, I, I've been pretty consistent with saying, I think the U S plays too many useless friendlies. Um, and I, that was kind of my, my tune last week. It's, it's great to see them when they win something to be able to go on this tour and be celebrated and, and for the fa- the new fans to be able to see them, um, but you, you look at David, someone like Davidson and you look at Denise O'Sullivan and Ireland right. said, I would, Denise O'Sullivan, I would like to call you up. And Paul Riley said, no, right. It's not an international window. I need her. And I, I mean, to my understanding, she was on the side of, of Riley and maybe if she had, had pressed that, maybe she could have gone with Ireland. But I think that Roy Dames would have every right to say, you know what? No, I'm not going to release. Now, obviously the, the dynamics are different with U.S. soccer, I think, you know. Right. I think the hard thing, the, the, I've been thinking about this a lot. The hard thing is, for a player like Tierna Davidson, I'm sure, I I have to imagine, I don't know this, I have to imagine she was one of the players that inquired about whether or not she had to go, because I'm sure she knew she wasn't going to play, right? Because she just, she only played the one game in the World Cup, she's a big part of that team, but not right now in this very moment with these friendlies, and, um, but also as a club coach, how can you tell a player like Tierna Davidson that she's not allowed to go make that money when this is a once every four years opportunity. Yeah. And that's the, the, the rock, the, you know, sort of a rock and a hard place. And it's also, you know, in the midst of all these, you know, during Port- the Portland game, they're chanting equal pay. I mean, that's, you don't want to be the coach seen right. as, yeah, I don't want you to get paid. Yeah. So I, I don't think that, that Dames or any other coach would hold them back and, and I can't blame fault them for that. But you also look at the timing of the next match that is right before the playoffs. Yep. The last yeah. thing that any team wants to see and any player wants to do is go play, uh, uh, you know, uh, yes, they get paid for it and it's fun and great, but it, it's essentially a pointless game. Right. Pick up and even if a minor injury could keep them out of the playoffs. Yeah. Or like maybe flip side for Chicago, you have someone like Julie Ertz, who Chicago very much needs to be playing full 90s for them right now. Um, but also the U.S. clearly feels very strongly that she should be playing full 90s for them every game. Uh, yeah, I think that I think that, that someone like I hope someone like maybe like Don Scott who can really right. break down how, you know, the minutes that these players are playing and then look at the longevity of their careers. I remember talking to Tom Sermani a couple of years ago and he, he went on for quite a while about how he thought that with clubs and international combined that we had just gotten to a point where. It wasn't just the U.S. It was a variety of, of leagues and international teams who were just playing too many games. Right. And that it, you're starting to see wear and tear injuries on much younger players. And that stuff adds up over time. I mean, one thing we, we didn't mention earlier was that Kelly O'Hara is out yes. um, indefinitely. Well, her ankle is back in yeah. a boot. I don't know the specifics of it. but And I think hers is very interesting, too, because you also mentioned that Ellie Carpenter has been out for a number of weeks. And that was because of kind of a rough foul that she got from Kelly O'Hara when Kelly O'Hara was playing minutes that maybe her body wasn't able to do. And it affects everything. When you play when you're tired, sometimes your tackles are a little bit off. And that's dangerous for you and also a little bit for the players around you. 
And, you know, none of that is anybody's fault, but it is a reality of just, I worry that as we just keep pushing and pushing and pushing, we're going to see something major for a major player on a major club. And that's going to be really hard. Well, I think something that kind of wasn't talked about a whole lot was when Jess Fishlock got injured. Right. I mean, she'd gone yeah. playing consistently for, what, a year and a half? Uh-huh. I mean, she went straight from Leona Champions League to playing for the rain. No no break whatsoever. And right. Actually, she, she, she was in W League for several seasons. I don't remember the last time she took a break. So I'm not saying that contributed to her ACL injury, but I'm not saying it didn't. Well, she know, told, we yeah. don't know what's going on in her body. Yeah, and she told us in Chicago when the when she when she was the, the she scored the goal, she beat Chicago basically on her own. Um that her that she came back without taking a break because the team needed her. Uh and that's the reality of it too. It's hard sometimes when you also put a lot of this into the hands of the players because players are gonna want to play. And you have someone like Jess Fishlock who sees the rain struggling. She comes back and she's like, I have, you know, I want to help fix this situation. And yeah, we don't know if that contributed to the ACL issue, but you know, it does put risk on your body. Um, And I think, I mean, I think that we've seen this with injuries. I think we've seen some of this with underachieving. I think sometimes people get tired and it's a difficult thing to pull themselves out of. Danny Colaprico was having a really rough season until she was able to sit for three weeks and she looks like a different player now. Um, Rest is an important thing. Well, yeah, you look at like Becky Sauerbrunn. I mean, the last time she was had an injury that required her to be rested for a while, she came back and looked so much better than she mm-hmm. had before. She had really been struggling prior right. to that for, for, I mean, for, for her standards. Right. No, um, I think a lot of times we look at players and we think, oh, they're washed. Oh, they aren't trying. Oh, blah, blah, blah. But a lot, of, I mean, burnout is real. And um, in these seasons with heavy international duties, in addition to the club stuff, you know, I just, I don't know. I just think that that could be, that could be an element of, of what happens going forward. Yeah. And I understand that the players agree to this victory tour in their CBA. And like I said, they're, they're entitled to it. And, and yeah, if people are like, Oh, the victory tour is not 10 games this time. It's only like five. They're still playing those international windows just because they're not called a victory tour this time. They're still playing just, just as many games, just as many windows as they did last time. I don't understand why we need to play two games every single window. Right. Uh, why? I mean, I don't understand why we need to play every window, frankly. But why not? Why not one? Right. You know, yeah. I, I don't. Right. And maybe that the visiting team wants to make it worth their while, but I just, I, I think they're setting themselves up and these players up for, for struggles down the road. And I don't I think it's. It's, it's in their, anyone's best interest. Right. And in that way, you know, you're talking about Megan Rapino. I think what Rapino is doing is very smart in completely taking herself out of the conversation of playing at all. Um, you know, part, I mean, obviously I'm sure when she's ready to play for the rain, she will, but part of telling the rain that she's not ready to come back is also telling us soccer that she's not ready to come back. Cause if she had left that window open at all, she absolutely would have played in Pasadena and that wouldn't have been good for her or for her club team. Yep, one hundred percent. I agree. So yeah, it's interesting. It's all you yeah. know. It's all part of everything. Yeah. So would not be U.S. soccer. Or would not be women's <laughs> soccer without some sort of drama. We sure. had a little bit more on field this time than we used to, but always the off the field issues. So on that note, um, thanks everyone for listening. This has been episode seventy two of the Equalizer Podcast. Chelsea Bush and Claire Watkins. Thank you very much for listening to us. <laughs>